wearing flowers in your hair? Did you buy a VW van to travel overland on the hippie trail to Afghanistan or India? Did you stand shoulder to shoulder with your fellow protesters shouting, Make love, not war? Here on Boomer Bedtime Stories, we take a deep dive into the adventures of a generation that will make you laugh, make you cry, or just shake your head, wondering, how on earth did we ever get away with that? Welcome, everyone. I'm your host, Karen Heaps. So this episode is pretty lighthearted, and it speaks to the how did they get away with that, that topic in our intro. But deeper than that, it speaks to the real connections and friendships we forged, those of us who came of age in that era. For it truly was an era, an era of go with the flow and be here now. In our circles, anyway, there was never any talk of power or control or pursuing anything to get rich. That just seemed to be incidental byproducts of some of the crazy schemes we hatched. They really came about in total innocence, another big feature of that time. Enough said. To speak of friendship now. Specifically, to speak of my more than 50-year friendship and love for my friend and brother, Victor. When I first met Victor in Sloan Square, my parents had emigrated from Montreal to London in 1964 when I was 14. The Beatles, Carnaby Street, Twiggy, Bebas. But that's another story for another time. Back to Victor. He was driving a Rolls Royce and running a troupe of hippies who sold velvet paintings for him. I was 19 and he was a couple of years older. There was a bunch of us heading off to a party somewhere. And he was a friend of a friend I was with. You know, one of those catalysts that come into your life to connect the dots. I'm sure you've had people like that in your life, too. We became fast friends. There's a little bit of each of us in the other. We have dropped in on circuses together, seeking out the lion tamer between shows. We have obsessed about our tennis heroes together. We have beaded necklaces together, and we've seen James Brown together, and we've caught Georgie Fame at the speakeasy. We have grooved to the yes at the marquee on Warder Street, shared beds together, and talked deep into the night. We have had spots and not spoken, but always we've had a really tight familial bond. I went to his mother's yard site, stone-laying with him, and mourned his brother with him. And we drove to Devon together to visit our friend Chip just before she succumbed. It was Victor who was reading Winnie the Pooh to me in Ibiza as I floated off on my first acid trip. We have laughed and loved together for more than a lifetime. And so, when I was in London recently, I sat down with Victor and we recorded a couple of his stories. You remember, at the beginning of this episode, I spoke of the how did we get away with that topic? Well, listen up, and you'll also get a glimpse into our friendship. Hope you enjoy. Victor, it's so nice for you to come over and tell me a story. I'm actually sitting in your house in London, which I can't believe. But you said that you were going to tell me some lovely stories, so I'm really looking forward to hearing one of them. It's very nice to have you here, Karen. We've been having a blast, and uh, this will put the uh, icing on the cake. No kidding. What an amazing few days we've had. Anyway, what was the story you were going to tell me? four of us in an old uh, country farmhouse and somebody's gone to town to buy some hash and the rest of us are just sitting about. (coughs) 
man, that's groovy. <laughs> and uh, they come back and they said there's nothing about it at the moment, but there is something coming in the next couple of days, but it's going to be 3,000 pesetas an ounce. What? One of the guys is reading an Iberia timetable at the time. And he said, do you know what? For 3,000 pesetas, we could fly to Algeciras and then take the boat over into Morocco. We look at each other. He continues looking at his Iberia timetable. There's a flight in two hours. We all run to our rooms, grab some clothes, jump into our dilapidated old Citroen 2 CV, bounce down the dirt roads, waving and shouting at friends on our way. The next moment we are now in Algeciras and we are about to board the Ibn Battuta headed for Tangiers. The Moroccan Immigration Service have a little office on the boat. We get on the boat and Martin is all right. Graham is all right. They look at me and they say, you can't come in. No hippie, hire too long. What? Your hair is too long. That trusty Swiss army knife comes to the rescue one more time. I whip it out, slice off all my hair. The guy looks and nods and there we are. The next morning, we're wandering around the Souk Tangiers. It's a marvel, a total revelation. The biggest culture shock I've ever experienced. We go into a shop, and at the back of the shop, there's a guy sitting there with tobacco, chopping it up, and marijuana, chopping it all up and making this mixture, which is called keef, which is what is traditionally smoked in North Africa. And I'm watching him, and it's fascinating. I leave the shop in amazement, and I go up to my friend Michael, to his wrong ear, and I say, you should go and see what that guy's doing in the back of the shop. Michael goes, ah, walks into the shop, sits down where the old boy is chopping up all this stuff, and goes, now then, how much does that cost? The guy looks at him aghast. He said, this is mine. I'm doing this. Fortunately, the old boy has a nephew who is working at the shop too. And we talk and we explain that we would like to. He said, I have a cousin in Katama. Where's Katama? It's up in the mountains. It's where they grow the stuff. An hour later, we bounce up and down in his old car up to the mountains, and that's how it all started. And this is what came next. Believe it or not, the story gets even crazier. Well, I found myself back in the early 70s in Tangiers, broke not knowing where my next meal is coming from until I get some money sent to me to the post office. So every day I would avoid the landlady of the hotel. Where is money? Where is money? Who would drive me mad for the rent. And I would walk to the post office. 
it entailed me going past this uh, second-hand shop and I would look in there and uh, there would be rucksacks and sleeping bags and a whole bookshelf full of copies of Europe on $5 a day. Tangiers, apart from being the gateway in, is also the gateway out of Africa. And a lot of people who didn't have money would have to sell their kit so that they could buy their ticket to cross the ferry, the Ibn Battuta. On my way back that day, I found that I still had a few pennies. My money still hadn't arrived, but I had enough to eat for a couple of days. I just stuck my head in the bookshop. Amongst all these Europe on $5 a day copies, there was this book that had no spine and was a different dimension to the others. And I pulled it off the shelf and I looked at it. It was very beaten up and the cover just said, be here now. And I thought, that's interesting. And gave over a few dirham and took the book home. I was up all night. Be here now. I really didn't need to have read it because the cover said it all, but there were a lot of very good tips and lovely little stories. But it changed my mindset. I'm still traipsing backwards and forwards every day to the post restaurant. The money hasn't come. I needed to fly home, but couldn't afford it. And I didn't want to stay in the city while all this was going on. I had made a phone call, and my pal said, we'll send it in a week or two. So I thought, what to do? would perhaps get out up into the mountains and hang out with my friends. At least I'd have some fresh air and I could uh, re-evaluate after this great revelation that I'd had. So there I am in Katama in the Rift Mountains, and it's wonderful, and I'm helping people that are coming through and just having a jolly time. It's time for me to go back to Tangier, and I take the bus. I get into the back of the bus, where all the old boys sit with their little pipes smoking their hash. I've got a little matchbox full and a little pipe. And we go trundling off. It's about a couple of hours ride, if my memory serves. But on the way out of the growing area of Katama, there is a security checkpoint. Stop! The bus gets stopped. The uh, gendarmes look very serious. They jump onto the bus and they start looking around. They talk to people. They get to the back of the bus and they see all the old boys sitting smoking and me there too. This offended them somehow. I said, look, I've only got this little bit here. And they said, OK, off the bus. As I get off the bus, another gendarme slams me against the side of the bus. There are about three or four other people that had been pulled off the bus too, and some luggage off the roof rack. And the bus trundles on. They start searching. They search me first and they don't find anything. I'd shown them my little matchbox. The next guy they search is this little old Moroccan guy in a big jalaba. They pull up his jalaba and lo and behold, strapped round his waist, are 10 kilos of hashish. Aha! The guy starts wailing and pointing at me. 
It was him, monsieur. It was him. He gave me money to take this from the mountains to Tangiers. And he falls on his knees and starts kissing the policeman's boots. I'm standing there dumbfounded. The next thing is they search the other two people and send them on their way. The bus is gone. I am handcuffed to this odious little character. The chief of the little group of policemen said to me, you will never forget my name, monsieur. It is Muhammad Ali, like the famous boxer. So I said, pleased to meet you. I'm Victor. And he said, I know, I have your passport. So I'm handcuffed to this little fucker. <laughs> and... I need to have a pee. I asked the policeman if I can go and have a pee. He said, certainly, but he's got to go with you. So there I am, one hand peeing, the other hand trying to close my fly with handcuff to the sky. I said to him, because we were out of earshot of the police, I said, look, they have you banged to rights. They found it on you. You know I had nothing to do with it. I have no idea why you thought that to incriminate me would do you any good. It ain't going to. You're going down anyway. You need a bit of money so that you can eat in prison. Moroccan jails aren't like uh, the ones that we're used to. If you don't have money, you don't eat. So I said, here, take this 500 dirhams and just tell them I had nothing to do with it. He said, oh, thanks. And he took the money. He goes, monsieur, monsieur, he's just given me another 500 <laughs> Now I want to deck the guy. And they could see that, so they separate us. I am still totally blissed out from having Red B here now and, and being in control of one's situations. And I said to Muhammad Ali, Monsieur, I do not lie. Please just think about this. Why would I give the man money to take this thing to wherever and be on the same bus with him? Doesn't make sense. And also, I wouldn't be messing around with 10 kilos. Oh, monsieur, you are trafficant? I smiled at him. He said, really? He said, are you thirsty? So I said, I can have a drink. He said, there's a watermelon salesman down there. Go and buy yourself a watermelon. So I trudged down there. And I trudged back and I sit down and I got my trusty Swiss army knife and I offer a piece of watermelon to... Muhammad Ali, the captain, and we're sitting eating more watermelon. He said, oh, you are traffic. He said, yeah. I said, well, yeah, I don't want to commit myself here. He said, oh, uh, where do you go? Uh, how do you do? And I said, don't, don't worry about it. Just know that. Uh, he said, well, next time you do anything, uh, if you want, I can help you es escort the, your... He was just wittering on. And... I had the newest thing, a stereo portable cassette player. Oh, like it, a Walkman. Exactly, but it came in a kind of a little suitcasey thing. It looked like a small briefcase. The two speakers opened out, and, and I gave it to him. He beamed. I said, next time I do anything, I will look for you. By this time, the little horrible man had been taken away. All the time, they're stopping cars and searching them and finding little bits from hippies and every now and again a couple of kilos of good hash and, and they, they, they just confiscate it and take all their money and send them on their way. And he said, 
at six o'clock we have to go back to the station and all this has to be burnt. Can you sell this in Tangiers? So I said, what do you mean? He said, well, we can put the lights on on top of the police car and we can fly. I said, it's all right. Thank you, but I don't think I can. Uh, Muhammad Ali shows me his stuff and he says, is this good? And I said, well, it looks all right, but you can't really tell without. And he goes, oh. And he shouts to his guy, Arasubsi, which in Morocco means bring the little pipe that they used to smoke. So they bring me a pipe, and I'm sitting there getting stoned out of my mind while the police are stopping all these cars, and I'm eating watermelon, and I don't know what the hell's going on. All I know is that I'm okay and I'm not going to go to jail. We smiled and talked a little bit more. He started stopping cars and looking at them. Nice cars. Finally, he stops a Mercedes with one guy just driving it, and he says to the guy driving it, take this man to Tangier. He opens the back seat for me, gives me my luggage. I left him with my stereo thing, and I waved bye-bye. End of story. <laughs> what a wonderful story of the times, Victor. Thank you so much for sharing that. <laughs> oh, especially after, you know, we talked about on the show, we talked about be here now and go with the flow as being our doctrines of the era. You well, know? I, I don't think I could have been so calm if, had I not have discovered this wonderful thing that has been the mantra for my life ever since and as I say you don't need to read the book you just need to read the cover had you just discovered that book like the day before or something I read the book in the hotel I cried all night reading the thing it's all such a long time ago but I had enough money to pay my bill at the pension but I didn't have enough to carry on till this money that was supposed to be coming to the post office arrived. So I thought, where can I go where I don't have to spend any money? My friend's up in the mountains. Oh, and that's how the whole thing began. Yeah. I love it. I love it. It's just, it's such a, it's such a story of just like be here now and go with the flow, right? <laughs> it, was, it was incredible. And here we are in London 50 years later, Victor and I, and we've spent the week doing what we love to do, which is going to Wimbledon and watching tennis together. We've done that for about 50 years. And then last night going to Van Morrison, who we've been listening to for 50 years. So full circle moment for me here in London with Victor. And I just thank you so much and I love you dearly. Right back at you. That was a fun trip down memory lane. Thanks to our production crew, concept and senior producer, Michelle Hall, sound editing by Bailey Bates and Michelle Hall, Sound effects from freesound.org. Music from premiumbeat.com. If any of you have stories of friendships formed in that time, or you have a story that speaks to the how do we get away with that theme, drop us a line at stories at boomerbedtimestoryradio.com. That's stories at boomerbedtimestoryradio.com. And if you'd like a little background info on us, or on any of our podcasts, you can just check out our website, boomerbedtimestoryradio.com. This is your host and producer of today's show, Karen Heaps, signing off for the Boomer Bedtime Stories, where we keep the good times rolling by sharing the stories of our generation. <laughs> <laughs>